Hey guys, I'm so excited for you all to hear this episode with Allie. She's seriously like the coolest person ever. And one thing um, that she told me after was she actually took the time to record this on her two year anniversary with her boyfriend. So she's just beyond selfless and amazing. And I'm just, I had the best talk with her and I think you'll really enjoy it. Quick note though, the sound quality isn't that great. So I really apologize about that. And I hope it doesn't, you know, take away from the episode, but I do acknowledge that the sound quality was kind of weird due to my technical difficulties. And yeah, that's pretty much all I wanted to say, aside from a quick reminder that I am sponsored by BetterHelp. I know my um, anxiety and just mental health overall has been for lack of a better word, in the shitter recently. And I really don't know where I would be without therapy. So if you are looking to get help, BetterHelp is a great option. It's affordable online therapy that matches you with a counselor that best fits what you're going through, um, who you can talk to four times a month, and then as well as chat with um, in the interim between your different sessions. So if you are interested in getting started, you can get 10% off your first month by going to trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. That's trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe, Z-O-E. Anyways, enjoy the episode with Allie. Welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I'm so excited to be here with Allie Kriegsman, who is the co-founder and COO of Bulletin. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Nice to meet everyone. Excited to chat with you today. I'm so excited. This is like something I knew about before I even lived in New York, and now feels like I've come full circle, and it's super exciting for, for me at least. So why don't you start out with like a little bit of background information, where are you from, how old are you, where did you go to school, what's your story? Okay, oh goodness, I haven't told my story in a while. Um, let's see, I'm, tw- I'm the ripe old age of 28, I'm turning 29 shortly, uh, go Geminis. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I was born in New York City, but I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Um, my parents found it really difficult to raise a child in Manhattan, um, so they moved out to the West Coast, and their business also brought them out west. So I consider myself, I don't know, I wouldn't say bi-coastal because I'm literally not, but like a nice blend of West Coast, East Coast vibes. Um, I... I actually had like a pretty sheltered upbringing to be totally transparent with you. Um, I went to Jewish day school my entire life. Um, I knew the same group of people since I was in preschool through graduating high school, which always felt very um, embarrassing to me and insular to me. Um, And I really wanted to get away for college. I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I worked at a literary nonprofit there for all four years that I was at school. Um, I really loved to sing and dance, and I was in theater. I was a creative writing minor. 
Um, I was a modern Middle Eastern studies major, which for me was about um, kind of unlearning and re-educating myself about the Middle East, given um, certain things I was taught in elementary, middle school, and high school that just didn't add up to me. Um, and I graduated Penn, and I worked at Condé Nast. I was in the marketing department there on a corporate level, so I worked for uh, a department that no longer exists at the company, but they basically oversaw um, kind of specialized like content marketing programs that applied to multiple titles there. So like Allure, Teen Vogue, um, you know, The New Yorker. And after that, I ended up working at Contently, which is a content marketing startup. I was a sales executive there. Um, I worked there for almost two years, and that is where I started Bulletin with my co-founder, Alana. Um, Bulletin exists to support small businesses and help brands um, expand their footprint, whether it's you know getting them into more offline retailers and selling their products in physical stores, or connecting them with online retailers that are selling on places like Shopify or Squarespace. And yeah, I really believe in you know supporting small business. I believe in women launching their own business, whether it's side hustles or something they want to take on full time. Um, and I'm just simply passionate about making entrepreneurship uh, more accessible to all women everywhere. I love that. That's such a cool story. And I really, it's funny because I feel like most people have the whole New York to LA experience like in their mid-20s. And then you're like, nope, reverse, like came back. But um, side note, I, I contently moved me to Los Angeles in 2015 uh the company that i worked at when oh, okay I was founder and i only lasted three months in la as an adult so i think <laughs> my place um and frankly like you know with, with covid and just the past few months like if anything i feel that even more strongly um 100 percent community and hustle and energy here is something um i would never want to replace so yeah i don't i basically say like goodbye la you were you know gave me my my childhood but I, I don't function there as an adult and I learned that just a couple of years ago yeah I definitely couldn't because I can't drive so oh, yeah no I, I also cannot drive there. so it's like very I feel like a very New York thing but the story behind Bolton which like I recently learned is kind of crazy amazing so I was wondering if you could go back to like 2015 and 2016 and explain like what you and Alana decided to do and like in between like leaving your company and then like creating this amazing startup thank you for saying it's amazing there's there's a lot of work to be done and I don't I don't let myself think that way <laughs> but it's, it's definitely nice to hear it um and appreciate it so yeah, I, you know, I was at Condé Nast. Um, I was basically like a glorified assistant there. My title was like marketing coordinator. And I envisioned that I would be working on all these like cool integrated marketing programs. Um, and that's not really what happened. Um, I absorbed a lot and shadowed a ton of people and learned as much as I could. But um, I always, I didn't, I, I wouldn't diagnose it as like an entrepreneurial bug then. But in retrospect, that's definitely what it was. I always had this hunger to build my own thing, build my own future, um, kind of be like an agent of my own career. And I feel like when you work at a really big bureaucratic company like that, um, you just don't really get the same opportunities to like take initiative and grow. 
So that's how I ended up at Contently. Um, it was a you know scrappy like 30 person startup at the time. Um, I was hired to the sales team and Contently basically sold editorial content creation and management software to uh, companies of all different stages and sizes. So um, the idea for Bulletin really came from Alana. Um, she approached me. She had run a very similar company prior to starting Bulletin called Barb and Bear. It was an e-commerce company that aggregated all of the vendors that sold at Brooklyn Flea and then put them online on an e-commerce platform you could shop like any day of the week, which I thought was brilliant. Um, she ended up folding that business and then kind of wanted to relaunch um, a similar business, but that was more uh, like editorial minded. So you learn about these different makers and designers and brands through storytelling and interviews, and then you could shop their products throughout the story. Um, she knew I was a writer. Um, I was like writing book reviews, at, like in the Contently Book Club, and I had written for like Thought Catalog, and um, you know, I think I, I had my own blog as well at the time. Um, and she was basically like, "Do you want to be the editor in chief of this like editorial Etsy?" Essentially, um, I said yes. You know, I wanted to just expand my horizons. Um, I wanted to build up my writing portfolio and I just really respected her and admired her and wanted to work with her. There was something very magnetic about her. Um, so we got started. It was really casual. We'd work after work or on the weekends. We'd order pizza to her apartment. Um, it was really just for fun. Um, she was genuinely like the one that had the bigger aspirations for it from the get-go. She really wanted to raise funding. She wanted to make it a big business. I was 24, she was 28. I like literally didn't even know what a venture back was and I was working at one at the time. <laughs> um, and she really drove the vision forward and was really the one that got me thinking that this could be bigger. I could be a full-time entrepreneur. Um, we had the skill set, you know, we had the hustle to turn this into a full-time thing. Um, we ended up applying to like a ton of different grants and programs. We ended up getting into this accelerator program. Um, at the time, they were offering a $20,000 grant to companies that would quit their full-time jobs and try to build their business idea full-time. So we took the $20,000, we did that program. It was a three-month remote program, and that was the beginning of 2016, and that started our like full-time bulletin journey. Um, we realized that scaling this like Etsy 2.0 business was gonna be really difficult. Um, $20,000 isn't a lot to do acquisition marketing and Instagram marketing, and uh, we were just really struggling to drive traffic to the site. Um, it turns out all our brands were experiencing the exact same things on their own sites, and they wanted to go offline. They wanted to find more easy and affordable ways to get their products on the shelf or like at markets um, or at pop-ups. So we started to run our own pop-up series for all of 2016. Um, we charged brands like a weekend fee to sell at the pop-up. At the end of that year, we brought it indoors and opened our own store. We charged brands a monthly fee to have their products in our store and do events, uh, marketing, and you know, uh, act like workshops with their audiences in our stores, uh, kind of like a co-retailing environment, if you will. Um, and then at the end of 2019, we ended up launching our wholesale marketplace, which basically helps, you know, a much wider network of brands get into not just bulletin stores, but stores all around the country. And that's really been the focal point of our business ever since then. So it's been a long, windy uh, journey. And it's, you know, it's something that I'm very proud of. I think, you know, being a business that's been able to survive for five years is something I am really thankful for. 
Um, but yeah, it's definitely been very interesting. We weren't one of those companies that had like a super concrete, you know, uh, signed and sealed idea and business model out the gate. We've definitely uh, taken the time and taken the years to listen to and learn from our brands and now our retailer customers to build the most sustainable business we can. That is so awesome and it's really inspiring. I mean, I don't know if you, if this was, it's like you had the same mentality, but I always grew up thinking like, okay, I am, I modeled myself exactly after my parents. I was going to go into like investment banking and I was going to do the whole corporate America. And then I did something like very similar. And now I'm like, when I created the podcast, I was like, holy shit, there's, I mean, granted, I'm I'm not going to be a color daddy for better or for worse, probably for better. But they're, I mean, they're making like a ton of money. So I was like, wow, maybe I could actually do this. And it's a scary thing. And I mean, I'm definitely scared to like put that thing. It's like the only thing more addictive than heroin is like a weekly salary or whatever like the thing is. But it's really, really admirable that you like took that leap of faith and it's obviously paid off. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really hard for me. Um, I I have a lot of privilege. I was able to live for free in New York for five months because, uh, you know, a woman I went I I met through my university acapella group was looking for, uh, you know, a like live-in babysitter to help her get through her divorce, and um, you know, I have been able to constantly find some sort of job that's been able to put money in my pocket, whether it's been working as a hostess, working at a boutique, you know, working as a tutor, uh, working as a babysitter to supplement my Condé Nast income, which was very, like, abusively low. Um, Love you, Condé. Like, it's no no harm, no foul, but, like, $30,000 a year is, like, not a real salary. Not in New York. Um, But, you know, like I was on financial aid in school, like doing this was hard for me. And I write about that in my book coming out next year. Um, I have dealt with financial insecurity for a really long time, but ultimately I think because I've worked so many different types of jobs, um, I knew that whatever happened with Bulletin, I'd be able to rebound in some way. I worked at a bar uh, serving like, and snacks in the back room. It was called Videology for like half a year while running our pop-up markets. And that never felt like it was below me. It never felt like, like I never gave it a second thought. Um, And so for me, I've always really prioritized my personal work fulfillment over feeling like I had a stable fat check, you know, coming into my account every Mm -hmm. day. Like I've been open to figuring those things out for the sake of just being happy and finding like professional fulfillment, even if it's meant I've had to like struggle on the financial side. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think like, especially now with all this happening, it's really made me and I imagine others take a step back and think like, okay, what's really important? Like there, I mean, between people losing jobs uh, that seem stable or things falling under, it's like, okay, this is a really time to like just strip away everything that's not making you, you know, excited to wake up every day and like get like do things. So 
did you would you say like your mental health was affected when you were you know like creating this or would you say by creating bulletin it kind of um like brought up your mental health or neither or both <laughs> to be to be totally candid i it's so interesting you ask that because i feel like i only started processing what entrepreneurship and starting bulletin did to my mental health starting like the end of 2018 so at the end of 2018 bulletin hit like an interesting uh, fork in the road. Um, we had multiple stores open. The stores, you know, on the whole were profitable. Um, we had built like a really uh, beloved consumer brand. I mean, you mentioned you knew about the stores, you know, even before coming to New York. And uh, that that wasn't easy. And that was, um, you know, a very uh, like emotional and meaningful experience for me and Alana as founders and for everyone on the team. Um, it wasn't a venture scalable business. And you can see that now with companies like WeWork where just throwing money at space and opening more spaces and renting out space within those spaces is like not a technology company. It's not a viable venture-backed model and we're a venture-backed business. And we had a big reckoning at the end of 2018 where we realized um, to kind of meet our investors' expectations of us and build the size business that we wanted to build and, and reach as many brands as we wanted to reach, um, we couldn't just have three stores open in New York, you know, working with 120 brands. We needed to build a product that was more scalable, um, more affordable to scale, and something that could tap into a much larger network of brands. Um, and it, I, I had very, like, sudden physiological, emotional, and like mental reactions to realizing that there's there's a timeline here where bulletin crashes and burns pretty soon. And there's a timeline here where, you know, we figure this out and we can kind of make it to the next level of the game. I literally think about building a business as like being in Mario. <laughs> um, and that I went into therapy. I also um, started working working with an executive coach and all through this I was writing my book <laughs> and with the book you feel this pressure of I have to be authoritative I have to tell people what they're supposed to do I'm I'm supposed to be the one that knows shit and I didn't feel that way when you're at that type of company intersection you're not thinking to yourself like I'm the baddest bitch I'm gonna teach people how to build an empire and like listen to me like hear me roar you think why the fuck am I doing this? I'm not like far along enough in my career. I'm not far along enough with my company to be writing this. And it was all of these like deep rooted anxieties about failure kind of compounding on each other and creating like a very dark like day to day for me as a leader and as a person. Um, I think at times Bolton has been very detrimental to my mental health uh, in periods like that. But I think that in the moments where I proved myself wrong, like when we were able to successfully build our own platform, launch it, do very minimal paid marketing, um, you know, get thousands of retailers to sign up, get a ton of brands on board, um, you know, compete with like much well, you know, much better funded uh, players in the space. Like when I prove myself wrong with the business, it's like I'm on top of the world. 
Um, but I will say, I think being an entrepreneur traps you in this pattern of valuing yourself based on the highs and lows in your business rather than the highs and lows in how you're like tackling certain problems or properly managing your team or like seeing your team through crisis or I don't know, you just develop these very warped barometers of, of internal success. Um, and so that's something I've been working on is like just appreciating and valuing myself outside of like the financial or fundraising or like growth benchmarks at Fullerton. Um, and I would definitely challenge every, you know, entrepreneur to do the same things. Cause if you, you know, pitch your entire sense of self and sense of success and sense of mental stability to how good or bad your company is doing, you're always going to be in this like volatile place with, with yourself. That's so interesting. And it's, you know, you read about, especially I think in like San Fran where there's so many startups and you just hear about their mental health. Um, being severely affected with these people staying up all night and and things like that and and that makes a lot of sense because I I'm sure you felt the same but like when you become so invested in something like no pun intended you literally like it becomes almost like a child and you're like you care about it so much and so I can see that when you literally see how much you know money you're gaining or losing what you're not it's it's like almost becomes a part of you so that's so interesting but it's good that you record like I think that's another reason that people from you know whether you're in a like demanding corporate banking job or creating your own company just like having a way to figure out like what's causing you that anxiety and going to therapy is just so freaking important. I'm like the biggest therapy advocate. <laughs> and it's, and I, you know, there were times in my life where I, I could not afford therapy, like a $45 therapy visit through, you know, the copay with my company at contently when I was making $40,000 a year, or even thinking of being in therapy when I was younger and working at Condé Nast and babysitting and just trying to like, pay for rent and groceries, um, it wasn't a priority. And so I, I do feel extremely lucky that I've entered a certain part of my life where I'm earning enough to, you know, budget for therapy. I'm lucky that I was able to like reach a certain fundraising point and bring on, you know, a key lead investor for Bulletin that made sure that we got an executive coach and, you know, wanted to give us the right person and resources to lead a bigger company that had, you know, more expectations on it and bigger goals to hit. Um, and I, I wish I had access to those things sooner. And I'm very glad that, you know, like more affordable, um, like digital platforms exist, like Betterment or Talk Space, Better Health. Um, but I think to your point, like, getting to the place where I acknowledge that therapy was would make me a better founder and leader and business partner and person that point it, it took me a really long time to get there because in not affording it I wouldn't even let it enter my headspace like you don't let yourself think about things where you're like oh another like $375 a month like that's literally not possible so that's like uh, and that's another reason why it's like so important for it to be made more affordable and, and of course in New York like no one takes insurance like no therapist but 
I am sponsored by BetterHelp, so I'll quickly plug if you can get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash Zoe. Woo, got it in. But, I mean, they're so awesome, and it's like, especially now in COVID, it's like literally I, I can't go to my therapist who I pay way too much money. I mean, just because of like the market, I know she has to price herself so that she can be competitive, but it's like, it's crazy when you're, li but anyway, but it's hopefully there's a day when it is accessible to everyone and everyone can make like it, have it cross their mind because it's not a matter of whether or not you can afford it. It's a matter of like whether or not you want to, you know, yeah. make yourself the best version of yourself. Shouldn't, you shouldn't diagnose if it's something you want to lean into or not based on whether or not you can afford it. Definitely. So one thing that I think is really awesome about Bulletin is it has like a very female empowerment vibe. And I was wondering, I mean, it's obviously like probably a inter very integral part of your business model and your mission, but I wonder what that's like owning a business that's has that model like how do you do you turn down um companies ever or like do you ever get negative feedback or anything like that because of um like how do you stand by your mission is kind of my question so when we when we opened our first store it was uh we opened our first store at the end of 2015 and the the business model we were operating with from 2015, end of 2015, with our Williamsburg store opening through the end of 2018 was this co-retailing model. Um, it's incredibly expensive for brands to get into a wide range of stores, especially like well-trafficked, um, you know, premium stores in like highly trafficked, well-populated, um, metropolitan areas with, uh, you know, passerbys that have money to spend. So we opened this first store in Williamsburg. We pioneered this co-retailing model where brands could pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month. They could have their products in our space. Um, they would keep the majority of every sale. We didn't own the inventory. And they could also do events and programming and workshops and kind of use the space as their own. Mm -hmm. um, we worked with all different types of brands, all different types of founders. Um, there was no, um, you know, uh, there was no like female founder brands only aspect to the business at the end of 2015. And then after we did a particular accelerator program where we were only one of two fully female founded companies in our batch of over 120 companies and after some selection, we realized we need to do something um, in reaction to this. We need to create a like retail incubator that specifically focuses on female founded businesses because from what we have researched and seen, there isn't really a place for, you know, consumer brands who are female founded to get the retail exposure, feedback, sales data, and like PR and marketing support that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So that's what we built. 
um, we basically relaunched our, fir- our Williamsburg store in early 2016. We decided to exclusively work with female-founded businesses, and all of our stores operated under that model. Um, in our prime, we had a store in Williamsburg, a store in Lolita, and a store in Union Square all at once. We worked with about 120 female-founded businesses um, of all different like races, stages, backgrounds, beliefs, et cetera, in those three spaces. And by the end of 2018, we realized, okay, we're working with 125 brands, but we have over 3,000 brands on our wait list that are not all necessarily female-founded, but that all have really important values for retailers to understand whether they are focused on you know, only sourcing ethically produced products, or they only make uh, products that are sustainable, or they're minority-owned businesses, but they're not female-founded, but they also need to get into this work. Mm-hmm. So we had to ask ourselves, you know, in that fork in the road that I explained at the end of 2018, okay, do we keep opening stores? Are they exclusively for female-founded businesses? And like we scale that up and that's our model? Or do we find a solution that lets all different types of brands and businesses get access to a more affordable option that gets them into physical retail stores? And we answered with, you know, we wanted to provide a solution for all brands and all types of businesses. So now on Bulletin, if you go to our site and you're a buyer, you're a retailer, you run an online store, you run a physical store, um, you can shop our site by a ton of different values. So like, I only want to shop female-founded brands. I only want to shop and support minority-owned businesses for our stores. I only want to shop ethically produced goods. I only want to shop items that are made in the United States. We allow retailers to do all of that. Um, and so, I, I mean, I will say that most of the brands on Bulletin are female-founded. I feel like, you know, that's kind of representative of the maker community. It is very female-founded inherently. Um, but we kind of had to expand this values-driven retail model and make it so that whatever type of brand you are and whatever values you live by as a brand, which I think is more important now than ever and is showing itself in consumer behaviors and consumer spending habits, um, you can get into retail stores all around the United States and, you know, not being female-founded, we're not going to restrict you from doing that. So we do not accept everyone to our platform. We still are curated. Um, You know, we accept brands based on certain parameters. We want to know if they're they're doing wholesale right now already, if it's something they're familiar with doing, Um, if they, you know, have a certain B2B brand. Sorry. (laughs) No worries. What kind of dog is it? I have a beagle. So oh. Um, but yeah, lo- like long story short, um, we, we do have certain like acceptance and curation parameters, but um, we do work with more businesses than just female founded businesses. And for us, you know, we really just want to democratize uh, a commerce channel that is typically really expensive and exclusive for a lot of brands. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's, I mean, Again, as you said, like now more than ever, I think that's just really becoming important of like seeing, you know, the LGBTQ community be like, like really backing like Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And just all the intersection, um, intersectionality, I think I butchered that word, but of things going on. My next question is like, what advice would you give to someone who's in that 
fork in the road and and is worried that they're either you know worried that they shouldn't even pursue starting their own business or they started it they're in it and then something you know goes wrong and it's like why the fuck did I do this like what would you tell that person I I will say a few things I will not lie like having enough financial cushion and money in the bank to take certain risks with your career is important um when we jumped into Bulletin and started working on it full time, we re- we had received that twenty thousand dollar grant, but I also had I think thirty two k in savings at the time from commission checks because I was a salesperson from from checks that I had collected from working for Bentley, um, and that for me, at least like doing a math equation in my head at the time, gave me the the mental financial security to feel like, okay, I can take this risk. And like worst, worst, worst case scenario, I end up working in a retail store again. I end up hostessing at a restaurant again. But like, I have worked enough jobs. I have enough range of experience. I have, um, you know, enough, um, like I'm multifaceted enough that like I, I will find a job if this crashes and burns and I don't care what it looks like. I will find a way to make money. Yeah. Um, And what I didn't think about was the psychological and emotional toil that I'd experienced just watching my savings completely disappear by not making income for a prolonged period of time. I didn't actually ask myself, what is it going to feel like to just see your rent and what you pay on groceries disappear every month and not have it replenished with a paycheck? What's that going to feel like? Um, What's it going to feel like when you have a sudden health episode or health issue or a hospital bill that comes in and it's three times, you know, what your insurance told you it would be and that money suddenly disappears and like you know you're not getting it back anytime mm-hmm. soon. I didn't ask myself those questions. <clears throat> I treated taking the risk as like a simple math equation rather than really thinking through like the type of emotional, mental, physio- physiological state I'd be in once that money just started dis- disappearing. So what I would say to that person is, you know, invest in invest in, in building yourself up financially to a point where you can take risks and it won't ruin your life. Um, I interviewed an amazing brand that used to sell in, in bulletin stores, um, the founder's name Jasmine Manns, and she said something when I interviewed her for my book that was like, I never take a risk where I can't afford the hit. And if you can't afford the hit to your mental health, your your sense of stability, your bank account, whatever it is, don't do it. Um, it it will it will cause you more harm than good. Mm-hmm. If you have built yourself up to a place where you have the financial, mental, and emotional fortitude to take the risk, see it through, and tell yourself whatever's on the other side of this, I'm okay with that, even if I fail, then just go for it. I truly feel like failure is a badge of honor. Um, You know, our previous businesses have failed. Our Etsy 2.0 failed. Our store model wasn't scalable. And so therefore, under the ways we've been financed, it failed too. And, you know, our wholesale marketplace could fail. And 
I have learned to accept that on the other side of that failure is experience, lessons learned, relationships built, and you know, scars that I wear proudly. And if that outcome isn't of value to you and you only like will be happy if it succeeds with a ton of press, glowing stars, uh, an acquisition or going public or whatever, like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Um, failure has to be on the table. It has to be an accepted reality. You have to, you know, agree to learn from it and grow from it. And if you can't do those things, and if you don't feel like you have the savings and the, you know, fortitude to watch your savings disappear while you do this, then, you know, keep, keep a full-time job afloat or, or try to supplement your income in other ways. Yeah. Well, that was really well said. And good advice to anyone listening. And now makes me really, really want to buy your book. So I'm excited for that to come out. Um, so I always wrap up with a couple of questions unrelated to anything really about this, but more just from a New York Times magazine that I like. Oh, let's do it. What is one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? I grew up with a lot. Um, I lived in one of the most expensive parts of Los Angeles. Uh, I went to private school. I didn't want for anything until I was an early teenager. And then my family pretty much lost everything. And I, I understood what it felt like to see that disappear. And I really also started to admire and respect what it took for my mom to build that life for us. And it completely changed my sense of myself, my sense of my privilege, um, my sense of like purpose and my sense of urgency in the world. And I, at the time it was absolutely, uh, you know, heartbreaking. My family fell apart. My parents' business fell apart. Uh, you know, the, the resources and means that I, had taken advantage of and uh, just took took for granted for so long completely disappeared. Um, and it really helped me understand like how hard it is to build a successful life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, losing all of that changed me dramatically and I'm really thankful for it. And I am also so thankful for my mom for everything she's done my entire life to, um, you know, support me, educate me, and provide tools and resources for me, even when, you know, after that happened, I know it was very hard for her. Yeah, wow, and I can now, like, see how that has kind of, you know, molded you into the person you are in in terms of how you see making a business and how you see, like, taking risks but being smart about them and things like that, so your mom's taught you well. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Oh, this is like a this is like a multiverse metaphysics conversation that that could spiral out of control. <laughs> um, I think if you let it, I think if you let things happen for a reason, they happen for a reason. I I don't know that I believe that everything happens for a reason, but I believe that there is a learning and a growing moment in everything. 
yeah, that's what I think. I think if it's, I don't know even how to describe it, but like you have to find if something bad happens and you find that silver lining and you figure out how you can, you know, do something differently. And I don't know, actually, though, I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm like astrology and I'm like <laughs> getting really about that. So I, yeah, I still have to figure out my own answer. Uh, next question is, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Yes. Um, my mom's parents escaped the Holocaust and her mother died very young when my mom was 16 and her mother, she claims, I mean, my mom's like me. She will like spin out stories. She's a total storyteller, performer, salesperson. So take this with a grain of salt. But um, she, she told me that her mom used to say to her every night before bed, be good on the inside. And every night when my mom put me to bed, even if her mom didn't say this to her, my mom did say it to me. <laughs> put me to bed and like tickle my arm and my back and say, whatever you do, be good on the inside. And I don't know exactly what it means sometimes. Like, I feel like I'm like, it's a very vague statement, but I, I try to approach things with goodness. Sometimes it, you know, leads me to see people in a better light than they deserve to be seen in. Um, I see both sides of everything. Like, I don't see people as inherently good, inherently bad, inherently evil. Um, I, you know, I, I guess being good on the inside is my motto because I just try to approach things with as, like, open a mind and good of a heart as I can. Oh, I love that. It's like, be a good person. <laughs> That's like, yeah. essentially just, it's such an easy statement but for some reason just not a lot of people understand it what do you love most about yourself Ooh, I am like still working on I'm, I'm working on self-love but I interviewed a therapist recently and she was like was like naming off things she was like oh where do I start I was like that's the energy I need <laughs> you know it's been I, I will say this I feel like for the past few months I've had friends and people reach out to me and explicitly say to me, I just need some of your good energy. Can we get on a call on Friday night? Or I just, I need one of your pep talks. Can we talk on a Sunday? Um, I have friends that have come up with business ideas that are so excited to just like tell them to me on FaceTime and ask me what I think. And I guess, I guess my favorite thing about myself is that I can, I can bring people good energy. I, I never really knew that that was something I like had or did for people. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't operate thinking about like what people have taken away from an interaction with me. Like I don't go into my relationships or conversations being like, I'm going to make this person feel so like empowered and jazzed and good about themselves after talking to me. But um, I definitely think serving as that um, go-to person over the past few months for so many of my friends um, has been really eye-opening for me, and I guess I I love that I can, can give people that boost when they need it. Yeah, it's so important, too. Like, no one wants to be around someone who's, like, a Debbie Downer, and it's it's really, I feel like, you know, I, I, I love to think that, or I hope to 
be that kind of a person that brings in a good energy and makes, you know, you feel uplifted and accepted. So it's a cool thing to um, realize, especially during COVID when, you know, that's like when the, every, the truth about everything comes out. So if the truth's good. <laughs> I'm going to say also my butt. <laughs> I don't naturally have like a good tush, but I've been working on it for many years. And, you know, it's one of those, I, I love being strong and I love being resilient in all parts of my life. And it's, it's a thing that I wanted to like, you know, build up and make a thing, and I did it, and I, I'm proud of my butt. Nice. Do, is it, like, a certain workout that you can tell me after or not keep it a secret? Many resistance bands, many, like, ankle weights, a lot of squats, a lot of jump squats, um, Pilates-type stuff, but I'm proud. I'm proud of it, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And last question, which is the name of the podcast – how do you find solace in the city? I forget even what it's like to be. I know, be outdoors. Yeah, no, like we've, my, my boyfriend and I have gone to the protest over the past few days and it is, it is weird for that type of experience to remind you what it's like to be out in the world in New York City. But, um, New York City is so magical. It is so inspirational. It I, I feel like I am one with its energy, and I love being here. Solace in the city. Um, it can be pre-COVID. It can be... Yeah. My favorite, favorite thing is, like, that impromptu meetup. That, that happens when you live in New York where you're ending work early, you're like you happen to be texting with a friend and they're like, what are you doing tonight? Or you're like, what are you doing tonight? And you just both spontaneously decide to meet up for like happy hour drinks after work. Ideally, it's the summer, you're sitting outside somewhere. Um, I mean, that I, I love like spontaneity. I love randomness. I love connection. So I think that that type of just spontaneous connection is is something I miss a lot and something that gave me a lot of solace pre pre COVID for sure. Yeah, it is something that's so I like so unique to New York and hope we'll get it we'll get out someday. Like it'll take some time, but it's gonna happen. <laughs> well, Allie, thank you so so much for like sharing your wisdom with me. I feel like I've learned just so much about entrepreneurship and like feel like I was humble in my own way of thinking of like really no need needing to you know get do my homework and in, in in terms of like what to invest my time in invest my money in, and invest my energy in but where can everyone follow you when when can they buy your book when can I buy your book <laughs> thank you um my book comes out April 6, 2021. So um, if you follow me on Instagram at Allie Kreeves, that's A-L-I-K-R-I-E-G-S, um, you will get all the latest on the book, like the cover reveal eventually. Um, I'll be shouting it from the rooftops once it's out. 
Um, you can also check out my website. It's just my name, AllieKriegsman.com. And yeah, I, I'm really thankful that we got this time. Um, this was like a really lovely and um, inspiring conversation for me too. And Thanks. yeah, I hope everyone listening, like whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, like just believe in yourself and believe in the fullest extent of yourself. I think women uh, tend to think small and tend to think insular. It's what we've been trained to do. Um, and I think if you push past that and ask yourself, like, what is the most maximal, um, epic, you know, version of myself, my business, my passions, um, and how do I get there? Like a lot of magic will happen. So I'm, yeah, encouraging everyone to feel that way. And that's a lot of what my book is about. So thank you for letting me promote it and talk about it. And I, I will stop rambling on. No, I, I'm so excited to read it. I'm so excited to like keep um be keeping up. Also and it's bulletin.co, right? Or is it yeah, dot com? Bulletin.co if you're a brand or if you are a retailer, um please go to our website, bulletin.co. Um if you're a retailer you can order inventory from over seven hundred brands. Uh, with one seamless checkout experience and if you're a brand you can get access to thousands of retailers and get your products on their shelves by participating in our community awesome well thanks again and bye everyone <laughs>